Jeremiah 9, 23 through 24. Thus says the Lord, let not the wise man boast in his wisdom, let not the mighty man boast in his might, let not the rich man boast in his riches, but let him who boasts boast in this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord who practices steadfast love, justice, and righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight, declares the Lord. Lord God, again, we come together, gathered in person, uh, online, so that we could again submit ourselves to the authority and the sufficiency of your holy word in our lives, asking that your spirit would open our eyes and soften our hearts. Lord, we ask that you would show us Jesus. We ask that you would teach us the gospel and that you would make us your people. For the sake of communicating your goodness and glory. In the name of your son, Jesus, we pray. Amen. So there's an interesting moment that I've noticed my whole life that I've never really quite understood well that began to make some sense to me as I was preparing for this message. It's that sort of full of wonder moment that happens right after you finish a really engrossing novel or a movie, uh, when you're sort of all at once, right afterward, very clearly aware of everything that happened, and you just sort of walk around in this afterglow of remembering the story well and deeply. You, you remember how it felt just a few minutes ago when the, when the surprise ending blew your mind. You remember the beautiful imagery in your head when, when the main character walked into that one really cool scene. And, and so afterwards, you're, you're basking sort of in the afterglow of the story because the details at that point, right after you're done, are clearly memorable. But if you were to come ask me the next day what it was about in that story, whether it was a book or a, a movie, well, I, uh, <laughs> it was, you know, about that, uh, that one guy who um, did that um, one thing. <laughs> I promise I saw it. Um, our memories fade. The details become blurry. Simply put, it's because we are time-bound creatures. If you ask me what I did yesterday, you'd better be prepared to be standing around a while. But think about this. To God, who is eternal, with no beginning, no moments of succession, with no end, not only does God remember every single detail of every single event in all of history past with perfect clarity, but he currently sees and is perfectly aware of the complete picture of every nook and cranny, of every moral and material feature of the entire known and unknown world, including all those weird and scary unknown creatures that swim the depths that no human has ever laid eyes on, 
but he is also 100% perfectly aware of every single future detail of every created feature of the universe in a way that can only be true for an infinite and perfect being, capital B, who alone deserves the title, (laughs) Eternal Lord of Time. To put it into manageable terms that some might more clearly understand, God's not only aware of all the cool feels you felt when you walked out of the theater in absolute shock after Ray finds Skywalker, you know, on the top of that hill in the middle of the ocean, but he also knew what would happen at the beginning of the next movie before George Lucas even wrote it. But just to say, yes, indeed, God knows more about Star Wars than George Lucas. We actually learn this in the Bible in Isaiah 46, 9 through 10. Well, sort of. It says this. For I am God, and there is no other. I am God, and there is none, not one like me. Declaring the end from the beginning, from your vantage point, the end from the beginning, and from ancient times, things not yet done. Saying, my counsel shall stand, and I will accomplish All my purpose. Friends, God is eternal and forever with no beginning and no end. He transcends time. He knows all things and he sees all at once. All things with all clarity. So here's our thesis statement this week about God's eternality. About the idea that God is eternal. This is, by the way, an incommunicable attribute of God. Not a communicable. See last week's sermon to learn what we mean by communicable and incommunicable attributes of God. So God is eternal. This is our thesis statement today. God is eternal in that he has no beginning, no succession of moments, or end in his own being. We'll define in his own being a bit here. And he sees all time equally, perfectly, clearly. Equally, perfectly, clearly, yet God sees events in time and acts in time. In essence, we're saying that time, unlike with us, time does not limit God. It has no effect on God's knowledge. He doesn't learn what we call new things, and he never forgets the things that we call old things, There is not new or old with God. When time happens, however you count it, in whatever measure, it doesn't add or detract from God's knowledge because he knows all things from eternity, present, and future. And he knows them all equally, perfectly, clearly, which is amazing, and and which is why he is God and he's worthy of our worship. There's no beginning, no succession of moments, no end in his own being and who he is, and he sees all of what we call time equally, perfectly, clearly, yet he still sees events in time and acts in time. So we're making today four very brief points about our thesis, the first being this, God is timeless in his own being. 
God is timeless in his own being. His eternality, his timelessness, it's not just sort of like a feature of God as if he has it. It's a constituent part of his nature in his own being. Timeless is more who God is than something God has. And the scriptures show us this. Psalm 90 verse 2 says, Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth and the world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. Before creation existed, he was God. From everlasting to everlasting, he was God. In Job 36, 26, Elihu says this about God. The numbers of his years, the numbers of his years are unsearchable. You can't number his years. God's eternity is also suggested by passages that talk about the fact that, that God always is or always exists. Uh, it's in fact a name or title for God in a number of places. Revelation 1.8 says this, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning of the alphabet and the end of the Greek alphabet. Uh, all the stuff that is comes from him, um, the Alpha and the Omega. And then he says this, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. So when it comes to uh, describing God relative to time, <laughs> Scripture teaches that he just plain, he is. In John 8, 58, a cool passage to remember in apologetics because of Jesus making an explicit claim about who he is. In John 8, 58, Jesus says, before Abraham was, I am. This is an explicit claim from Jesus of his own divinity, of, of having God's name. We know this because those around him began to pick up stones to, they understood what he meant. So Jesus is here consciously, in this passage, he's consciously taking on God's name from Exodus 3.14. We talked about it last week. I am who I am. Also could be translated, I will be who I will be. Like a constituent feature of who God is, is timeless. And this is a name, I am who I am a name that implies a continual present existence. So God is, as we say, as we sing sometimes, he's the great I am. And Jesus claimed this for himself. He's the I am who eternally exists. He is timeless in his own being, in, in who he is. He is timeless. Second thing we're saying today is this. From Scripture, God sees all time equally, perfectly, clearly. A lot of adverbial phrases there. God sees all time equally, perfectly, clearly. Now, this is a little less abstract and even easier to understand from the timelessness in his being. Look at Psalm 90, verse 4 with me. This is really cool. It says this. For a thousand years in your sight are but as yesterday when it is past or as a watch in the night. A thousand years in the sight of God are, are like yesterday or like a watch in the night. So for us, of course, the more recent the event, the more vividly and, and clearly we remember it. 
If you ask me what I had for dinner the day before, I can usually come up with it pretty quickly. But our memory fades with time. And if you had asked me what I had for breakfast uh, a couple days ago, <laughs> you're not likely going to hear the truth about what I had until I take some time to come up with it. But Scripture tells us here that God looks on and he remembers a thousand years as if yesterday, as yesterday in the passage here. He remembers perfectly all the details of every event over the last thousand years, which here is just a figurative amount of, of time, a, a huge amount of time. He remembers every detail of every event over the last thousand years as if it were yesterday. To him, Psalm 90 says, it's like a watch in the night, which is just a three or four hour period during which a guard would, would stand watch. In 2 Peter 3, 8, it says, With the Lord, one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. Now, the second half of this statement here has already been made in Psalm 90. A thousand years is as one day. But the first half, it introduces a bit of a new twist in the other direction. Peter says, one day is as a thousand years. Meaning that from God's vantage point as, as timeless, any one day seems to last for a thousand years as if that day never ends and is always being experienced. Which is really cool about God. Peter's saying that any one day seems to him to be present to his consciousness, his awareness forever. So considering these two passages we've just looked at, we can say that from God's perspective, any extremely long period of time seems as if it just happened, and any very short period of time seems as if it lasts forever. And any one moment of time, however you measure or slice it, never ceases to be present in God's consciousness, in his awareness, which is why we can say that God sees and knows all events, past, present, and future, equally, perfectly, clearly. But check this out. We need to say one more thing about God to guard some misunderstanding here. Even though, as we've already said, God is eternal in that he has no beginning, succession of moments, or end in his own being, and he sees all of time equally, perfectly, clearly, yet God sees events in time and acts in time. He's, he's timeless. He's not bound by time. He created time, and yet he is aware of and sees and acts in time. There are lots of places we could look at uh, to demonstrate that. L let's just look at a couple and refer to some others generically here. Look at Galatians 4, 4 through 5 with me here. Galatians 4, 4 to 5 in the New Testament. Paul writes, When the time had fully come, God sent forth his Son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law. Meaning that God knows exactly what is happening in creation, in time, such that at the right time, when the time had fully come, God sent forth his son into the world. 
God sent Jesus into the world at the perfect time. In Acts 17, 30 to 31, Paul was telling the men of Athens there. He was preaching, he said, the times of ignorance God overlooked, but now he commands all men everywhere to repent because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. So from our time-bound perspective, God acted one way in the past, one way now, and will act another way in the future, all in time. Throughout the Old Testament, we see prophecies that show that God predicted his actions at a point in time and then carries them out at a later point in time. He sees and he acts within time, though he is not bound by time. And think about it on a larger scale. All of the Bible from Genesis to Revelation, it's the story of of God acting over time to bring redemption to his people to accomplish his purposes. In short, God is creator and Lord of time, who is eternal and timeless, yet rules over it and uses it for his own purposes, just like the rest of creation. Finally, last thing we're saying today is this. Christians, those who call God Father, those who are born of the Spirit, made new because of what the Spirit does to to give us new life. Christians will always exist in time for the rest of forever with God who is eternal. Let me say that again. It sounds a little bit obvious, but... It's important to think about for here, uh, here for just a second. Christians will always exist in time for the rest of forever with God who is outside of time. Now, this may sound obvious, but some have thought that time will cease to exist when we begin to share in God's fullness in heaven, in the place where he is fully present Some have thought that time will cease to exist when we share in God's fullness for the rest of forever, as if suddenly we become not bound by time. In fact, there's a well-known hymn that says, when the trumpet of the Lord shall sound and time shall be no more. But there are a number of places uh, in Revelation, verses 21 of chapter, uh, I'm sorry, verse Uh, Chapter 21, verses 23 and following. In Revelation 21, 23 and following, where it shows us um, that we are still experiencing moments in succession that qualify as time. And this, we're headed somewhere with this. Track with me here. Revelation 21, 23 and 5. At first sounds like there's no time. It says this. The city has no need of sun or moon to shine upon it. For the glory of the Lord is its light, and its lamp is the Lamb. And there shall be no night there. Now when it says there shall be, as in the future, there will be, future tense, when it says there will be no night there, and then just a few verses later, it mentions the the fact that the kings of the earth will, will bring the glory and honor of the nations into this heavenly city. And in that same passage, we're told that by its light, the nations shall, future tense, 
walk. Every one of those activities just mentioned, they clearly imply that these events will be done, future tense, in moments of succession, one after another. Something is outside the heavenly city, and then at a later point in time, that thing, those things are part of the glory and honor of the nations that are brought into the heavenly city. To cast one's crown before the throne of God, Revelation 4, it requires that at one moment the person had a crown, and then at a later moment that crown is cast before the throne. To sing a new song of praise before God in heaven requires that one word be sung after another word, and so on. In fact, the tree of life in the heavenly city is said to be yielding its fruit each month. Ongoing moments of succession which imply a regular passage of time and the occurrence of events in time. Now, why does it matter to say that time exists in heaven? Because a a time-bound God who is like us in that respect is not worthy of our worship forever. Meaning that when we say we will experience a fullness of joy forever with God in heaven, it's because from one moment to the next, to the next, to the next, forever, because God is infinite and eternal and big enough to say this about him, When we experience a fullness of joy forever with God in heaven, one moment by one moment by one moment, it's because there is more than enough of the goodness and glory of this God who has always been and will always be infinitely good and altogether holy and entirely perfect. There is infinitely more than enough of that God to go around for us for the rest of time. And it is this very God who knows to intervene exactly when you need it, to comfort exactly when you need it, to put together the details you and I cannot manage in ways that accomplish his purposes by sending his son Jesus exactly when we need it. Let's take a moment and think about our takeaway question. How does knowing that the Lord of time sees your future clearly convict, and or comfort you to live with faith and hope in him now.
Friends, a God not bound by time is big enough for us to enjoy for the rest of our time and he's worthy of our worship and he's able to handle the circumstances of our lives in ways that extend beyond our understanding. Let's pray. Father in heaven, it is indeed because you are the God who has always been and always will be that we can trust you. You see equally, perfectly, clearly all the events of our lives for which we need forgiveness. And yet, that's not kept you from acting in time through Jesus to give us what we couldn't earn for ourselves. And so we lean on you, we depend on you. We come to you asking that in our limitation, in our time-bound and broken lives that we can rely on you because who you are is as the Bible describes you. You are infinitely beyond. You are greater than all could ask or imagine. You give us what we didn't earn and we can't. So we love you for that, Lord. And we ask that you would continue to uh, shape us and form us so that we would worship you rightly. In the name of your son, Jesus, we pray. Amen.